Hi, and welcome to Crypto Facto with Josh and Jonathan. I'm Josh Clayman. And I'm Jonathan Ching. And we're from the global law firm of Linklaters. On this podcast, you'll hear our hot takes on some of the hottest topics affecting the digital assets and tech spaces. Of course, these are our personal views only, and nothing we say here today is legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. But we do think it's interesting. So hold on tight and let's get to it. And we're back. Wow, so much has happened since the last time we met, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, Today, we're going to cover some, but certainly not all, of the headlines that have come out just this past week. These include things like Coinbase announcing that it's received a Wells notice from the SEC, the enforcement action just this week by the CFTC against Binance and certain of its executives, and the announcement by Sushi's head chef of the request for a legal defense fund, among other things. We're also going to talk about some predictions um, for what may be coming next in terms of enforcement. Essentially, we're going to say what's happening, why now, and what's next. But before we get into what's happening and what's next, Jonathan, why now? So it's a great question, Josh. And I guess why now may have a lot to do with some of the things that have happened in the last month, but also you know, depending on who you ask, there may be a concerted effort on the part of a few high-ranking regulators to really get the enforcement agenda front and center. And again, I draw everything back to November of 2022. The collapse of FTX left everybody looking, you know, quite, um, you know, looking for answers, trying to figure out what was going on. And when you look at what is happening in terms of, you know, a split Congress, you have the, you know, end of President Biden's first term, you know, feeling sort of eminent. Um, And people are thinking about, well, okay, well, what's the mark I want to make? How do we want to address the crypto problem, if you believe that there is one? Um, And I'll just throw out as another example, completely outside the crypto world, um, you know, we've been working on this week, a rule that was reproposed by the Gensler SEC, uh, which dates back to a 2011 proposal. It has to do with securitization conflicts of interest. Totally dull. Don't encourage anybody to read that. But <laughs> it's really important for particular types of, of, of banks. Um, and there is no real answer as to the, you know, why now, other than there was a checklist that was created by the SEC. And people said, well, this is on the list. This was proposed and never finalized. It's part of the Dodd-Frank rulemaking requirement for the agency. Let's get it done. And so at the end of January, a new SEC Rule 192 was proposed to deal with conflicts of interest, implementing a particular part of Dodd-Frank, which was opened up for a 30-day comment period. You know, it was actually the comment period technically expired yesterday. So um, 30 or 60 days, depending on which version you go with. But it was very short, given the number of comments that were requested. Why am I talking about this on a crypto pod? It's basically just to say that the SEC seems to be in a hurry to finalize rulemakings, to complete agenda items that may have sat for a while. And in doing so, they're really kind of stirring up the market. So I don't know, Josh, if you're seeing the same thing, but that, that's, that's my observation from my little corner of the world. I mean, it's so interesting, Jonathan, because what you're saying is exactly right. I mean, we're seeing activity not only across regulators, but within regulators. And it, it's really interesting, the, the kind of rushed pace that you're, you're talking about. Some have been saying that maybe there is competition among 
various regulators to you know, really take hold of the crypto space, for example. But in some ways, I don't even know if it's if it's competition or just sort of flexing their respective regulatory muscles. I mean, some in the crypto space had kind of viewed, rightly or wrongly, um, the CFTC as being a place that, you know, if it were to have taken the lead in terms of crypto regulation, that it might have been somehow kinder and softer and cuddlier. And I think, you know, agencies such as the CFTC are really coming forward and saying, no, you know, we're flexing our regulatory muscles. We we are just as powerful. We have different tools, um, but we are just as focused on on enforcement and things like that. Well, but well, stepping back, oh, go ahead. just yeah, go just ahead. a thought real quick because you reminded me. I mean, there's a, there's a simple model of all of this, which is you could take the view based on things that have happened in all the last three years that there was a retail investor protection problem that retail investors were somehow exposed to crypto in a way that they wouldn't be exposed to stocks and bonds and to other types of financial instruments. And it's not just the SEC that cares about that. The CFTC's, you know, basically the 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 CFTC was formed with an investor protection mission, which actually may even be stronger in a lot of ways than the SEC because it's such a smaller institution. And what they really do is protect retail investors against scammers. And, you know, like it or not, a lot of what was in crypto was, was a scam on retail. And so, you know, but that doesn't, it, that's not exactly supported by the Binance complaint. And we'll talk about that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, before we dive into that, I do think, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. The economy, all the way across the economy, people are focused on this. I mean, the economic report of the president, which just came out in the past week, that's an annual public publication, right? It comes out every year. And this 2023 issue in March had an entire chapter on digital assets and economic principles. So one of the things, and I'm just going to read a quick quote from that. It says, it has been argued that crypto assets may provide other benefits, such as improving payment systems, increasing financial inclusion, and creating mechanisms for distribution of intellectual property and financial value that bypass intermediaries that extract value from both the provider and recipient. Looking under the hood at these arguments, however, shows a more complicated picture. So far, crypto assets have brought none of these benefits, the report said. So, exactly, (laughs) hear the the ominous music. And that that ominous music seems to be playing all the way across our sector. I guess shout... Shall we step in to say Coinbase's announcement of the Wells Notice? Yeah, absolutely. Did you want to uh, kick it off for us? Sure. So, you know, we have been hearing rumblings from from Gary Gensler and others saying that the runway is getting shorter for trading platforms in the digital asset space to, quote, come in and register. But up until now, um, we hadn't really seen any action against Coinbase by the SEC. We did see, for example, the warning um, not to release or the cautioning not to release Coinbase Lend, that product, um, which some say, you know, you could take the position if you were a regulator, of course, and we're not regulators, but just that, you know, perhaps Coinbase might have thanked the FCC for providing that warning rather than going through the, the resulting enforcement actions that we saw against BlockFi 
um, and others. But yes, let me just let me turn to it so I can take a look at it right now. On March 22nd, Coinbase's GC announced that they were disappointed to share that the SEC gave them a Wells notice. Now, the Wells notice is typically one of the last steps or the last step before um, an enforcement action might be launched, right? It, it provides the, uh, the receiver of this notice the opportunity to provide a response as to why the SEC should not bring enforcement for potential violations of or alleged violations of securities laws. But what was really interesting in this, in this blog post that was shared was not only do they say that in their view or quote, the SEC will not let crypto companies quote, come in and register, we tried, end quote. They talk about an investigation that they had disclosed last summer. And they also mentioned having met with the SEC more than 30 times over nine months. Um, to provide proposals and to seek feedback. And so it, it was very interesting because often we'd heard that there was no way um, that the that Coinbase had essentially reached out to meet with the SEC, but that they hadn't been able to reach anyone. And so this was really interesting to me, at least, to hear just how many times they actually had met with the SEC to try and present their, their proposals. Um, it sounds like from this blog post that the investigations related to the staking service, um, Coin Coinbase Earn, Coinbase Prime, and Coinbase Wallet. Jonathan, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to share about this? I, I do have some thoughts of my own, but I I'd love to hear yours. So a couple, couple of things, you know, which I think um, came out in the tweets from Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase. Um, you know, which I think are, are, are at least worth mentioning. You know, one is the fact that, you know, the Coinbase team had apparently asked the SEC a number of times, you know, okay, if you think we are trading in unregistered securities, what are those securities? To which apparently no response was received or offered. You know, they didn't respond to that question. So that's, that's point one. true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's fair, it, like, you know. We we we've heard other things, right? <laughs> I hear Gary Gensler constantly saying that nearly every digital asset is a security. Okay, but if that's right? true, if that's true, and I, I I follow the logic, but if that's true, how did the S one get approved for the IPO? So that's an excellent question, and I will say, um, I don't recall offhand, although maybe you do. I don't recall what tokens. At, uh, Coinbase was providing trading services for back then. I know years ago, they only had Bitcoin, Litecoin, I think Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. Yeah, there was definitely a much smaller universe. I mean, with the way that they articulated it is that the S1 explained the process for asset approval for listing. And again, talking from Brian Armstrong, so take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, the idea would be we have a, an, appro an approval process that's rigorous that causes us to reject thousands and thousands of tokens, and we've only approved you know a handful of them over the over the years. We also talked about staking and what staking was. It's part of our S one process with the commission. Nobody raised any objections at the time to either the approval process or the staking business at the time, which was two years ago. So why is it you know kind of retroactively coming up now? 
and I, I agree, you know, it's it's very possible that this SEC, a different part of the SEC already took the opinion, you know, took the view that these things were securities. But it is curious that the Division of Investment Management allowed the S1 to be approved. You know, I'm sure there were comments, but it, it you know, ultimately got approved. Stock was listed. Away you go. So I guess there's there's some kind of disconnect, and maybe it's intra-agency, but there's something going on there. It definitely sounds like something is going on. And please know I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate here when I say, is it true? You know, I I just when you think about the fact that even if only one digital asset were a security that was being traded, you know, these compliance rules and, and these US securities laws would apply. So asking for a breakdown of exactly which ones um, may be securities or the SEC views are securities, it seems that, you know, that question, if I were the regulator, I'd say, well, we've been answering that. And again, like, as we've kind of noted in prior podcasts, there's a different question at play if you're asking what does the regulator think versus what can you prove in a court, right? And so I think depending on the question that you ask, you may get a different answer. So they, it's possible, you know, Coinbase would be asking which specific tokens because they want to formulate a defense, right? As Ooh, one yeah. might imagine. Yeah. No, and that's right. what I'm saying. I think, I think again, this is all posturing on both sides. But I think the point of a Wells notice usually is to allow the company to present any arguments in its defense. And I don't know how you defend yourself against the charge that everything is securities. Yeah. No, that <laughs> you know it, exactly, especially when it's facts and circumstances, because the SEC would need to prove in a court that any subject token was in fact, a security. What's really interesting, you know, I don't remember the exact date when Coinbase filed its S1, but, you know, a, a little less than two years ago, on August 9th, 2021, the SEC charged Poloniacs, right, which we hadn't heard from really in the news, at least I hadn't for a few years at, the, at that point. And they charged them for operating an unregistered digital asset exchange. And one of the things that they focused on in that enforcement action, um, which I'm sure you'll recall, is that they were saying that legal counsel had indicated that certain digital assets posed a moderate risk of being securities and that that moderate risk was too high. So it would be really interesting to know, you know, not only what digital assets Coinbase was listing at the time, but also whether that Poloniex enforcement action came before or after that listing. I do have, by the way, um, and I don't, I, this is not necessarily to do with Coinbase. It's just sort of a prediction or a thought. I mean, we're focusing a lot about this whole come in and register. Um, and, you know, we've talked in the past about whether even if a digital asset issuer came in and registered, for example, as an ATS, you know, would they be able to what would happen to the tokens that the SEC believes may have been illegally issued as securities? Would they be grandfathered in? Would there be some other kind of um, path forward? But I actually think that a lot of this is bigger than just come in and register. I think in my view, regulators like the SEC are really concerned about trading platforms providing a variety of activities that normally 
in a traditional securities context might be separate. And I think, you know, that, for example, the SEC, if I were the SEC, that I might want trading platforms to separate out their activities. Uh, for example, I've, I've heard thoughts about, you know, exchanges should be, you know, acting as exchanges and maybe separating out the broker dealer and separating out the clearing function and that they shouldn't be trading against customers. And so I wonder if that may be part of the sticking points, because we don't know, for example, um, assuming, you know, the accuracy of the blog post that Coinbase had multiple proposals, we don't really know on what grounds those proposals were not responded to. And I do wonder whether um, whether the regulator actually has has in mind the idea of separating out these various functions. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and of course, traditional securities markets have a separate exchange, separate, so, you know, an affiliate clearer, separate broker dealers who are independent from the exchange and part of the system and separate custody in a lot of cases. And so if you draw all the threads together, I mean, those are the different actors in the space who are receiving a lot of regulatory scrutiny. But I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on talking about Binance because I think it highlights a lot of differences in the regulatory approach while maybe getting to the same place. So let, let, let's let's switch gears and talk about Binance for a minute, if you don't mind, Josh. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. So I, I think to your point, you know, everyone's thinking, well, the CFTC is sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, cool with crypto. But what they are not good with in any sense of the word is, you know, sort of uh unregistered exchanges offering things to United States persons, right? We, we know this from experience. Mm -hmm. um, the complaint was really interesting. I have to say, I've just had a chance to read it once and, you know, came out yesterday during the middle of the workday. But the things that I picked up on in the first read was actually, it wasn't really that much about U.S. retail investors. It was a nexus between U.S. high-frequency trading firms and Binance and, you know, their ability to allow firms headquartered in Chicago and New York to have access to their platform for purposes of executing, you know, thousands of trades a day. Um, you know, according to the complaint, at one point, one U.S. high-frequency trading firm was 12% of Binance's daily volume. Wow. That's, that's billions of dollars a day in trading rate. So you can imagine how important this was. There is, you know, um, quotes from the chief compliance officer saying, you know what you guys really ought to do is get a VPN and or set up mm -hmm. and so you can avoid all of this. Well, you know, for, for those of my friends who are listening who aren't familiar with the Commodity Exchange Act, section 1.6 talks about taking steps to deliberately avoid the application of US laws. That's a violation of US law in and of itself. So there's lots of things in here. I'm, I'm going to read it again today after we're done with this because it just it's fascinating reading. But it's it's not what the SEC is saying to Coinbase, which is a SEC registered company. It's saying you can't just claim you're not subject to U.S. rules because you have no headquarters, or because you're outside the U.S., or because you're living in Cayman Islands or Hong Kong or Singapore, wherever it might be. When you're taking steps to deliberately avoid the application of U.S. rules to your business, you are violating the law, and that's a fundamental, you know, fundamental principle that's going to be put to the test as part of this complaint. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. I mean, I think one thing that struck me when I was reading it just was 
you know, the takeaway, it's substance over form in a sense. You know, again, with we saw that with the SEC, we're seeing it with the CFTC. It's not enough to implement a compliance program and present it to regulators and say, look, we've got this. Look, we're having these annual assessments, et cetera. You actually have to follow the compliance program and you can't have sham compliance sessions. You know, um, the CFTC, it appears, is closely attuned to entities and projects' alleged methods of circumventing apparent compliance controls, including, you know, we saw a lot of discussion about know your customer and anti-money laundering checks. As you noted, the use of VPNs, uh, et cetera, to enable access by U.S. persons. And, you know, as we might expect, the CFTC looked beyond an apparent web of non-U.S. entities and what were presented as robust compliance mechanisms uh, to actually see that the U.S. market was targeted. So, I, I mean, I was fascinated just by the, the details about, you know, that they were able to have alleged disappearing um, signal messages directly up between and among executives, very clearly, it appears, directing um, activities that were not in compliance with their very own stated compliance programs. So I think that'll be a really fascinating case to watch. I mean, some have, have noted that, you know, no criminal charges have yet been filed. And some are saying that those may be on the heels. So I guess we'll we'll wait and see. Um, it was interesting that unlike in certain other cases where the DOJ had come out um, with a criminal case uh, contemporaneously with some of some of the um, the civil cases, there was no uh, DOJ case uh, that I'm aware of launched yet. Although who knows? While we've been filming this this podcast, anything can happen. I stepped away for a second. Check Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. I stepped away for a second the other day and I had, I had been heading to a meeting and I said, did I miss anything? And they were like, oh, Do Juan was served in Montenegro with, with fake passports. I was like, what? <laughs> you can't, you can't look away for a second. Um, I do have, you know, it looks like we're getting close to time. And I, I do have just a, another prediction. I'm sure you may, may as well. Um, Jonathan, but maybe before we close, actually, let me pause for a second. Do you have any predictions for what we're going to see next? Are the hits going to keep on coming? Oh, yeah. No, this I think this is just getting started. And, and I think as, as you and I were talking about before the show, it's everything from the kind of headline grabbing, but sort of banal, like, you know, Jake Paul and celebrity rappers and all, all this other stuff getting served for promoting crypto to this Binance complaint, which is very serious. I mean, if you think this is the world's largest crypto exchange, given the size, the complexity of that organization, this is a huge step by the CFTC. And just the, the last point about that, um, you know, which is tucked into all of this, crypto is commodities under this reading, right, Josh? And so the fact that it may be securities does not mean it's not a commodity, which means that derivatives on commodities are regulated by the CFTC. Exactly. And the CFTC doesn't need to prove that any of the digital assets are securities because it's not taking that angle, yeah. right? Because that's not, not the CFTC's role. I, I think, so I agree with you. I think the point about going after the ultimate big fish, which many have been waiting for for years, um, you know, enforcement against Binance is huge. I mean, we had seen a few weeks back or a few months back where 
post-FTX collapse and the related mapping of contagion, there was some suggestion that there was a hesitation to enforce against Binance because it could cause even more instability and even more risk and even more losses. Um, but here we go. And I do think you know this whole idea that that there may be certain players, um, and this goes back to your your what your earlier point about protecting um, retail and you know not wanting to cause too much disruption to the market. But there are some folks that that haven't yet been targeted. And my prediction would be that we are likely to see um, at least eventually enforcement against VCs. Um, I, I believe that the SEC is, is likely to view certain VCs as functioning as underwriters just by virtue of the fact that they, in many cases, are investing in early stage companies. And then they, they have an exit into the market um, that's planned. Um, you know, just as there would normally be a 10-year potential exit cycle with an IPO, right? It's become, in many cases, a six-month token exit. And I do think if VCs are deemed to be underwriters, you know, that could potentially result in liability, not just for the VCs, but, you know, issuers of tokens that relied upon exemptions from registration, such as Reg D, right? You're relying on 506C, for example, when you're doing general solicitation and general advertising, you still have to make sure that you don't have underwriters. Um, and so similarly, while it's not as explicit with Reg S, if you know that the purchasers are going to be immediately reselling um, once, you know, once a lockup lapses or expires, you, know, you have to worry about flow back into the U.S. And in my view, I believe that the SEC is very focused on that. this. I think that to the extent that we haven't seen enforcement actions against certain types of players, it's just a matter of time. I think it's all on the list. And you know, one one very last thing, because I did have a little teaser about Sushi, um, maker of the Ethereum-based Sushi Swap DeFi exchange. Um, I guess we should maybe tuck in a little quick comment about that. The only reason for mentioning that was that um, similar to what MakerDAO had done in launching a, a legal defense fund, um, Jared Gray, who's the head chef of Sushi, provided a disclosure that he had been served with an SEC subpoena in the form of a proposal that was submitted to the Sushi DAO to establish a legal defense fund to cover potential legal costs. And the idea behind the formation of, of a Sushi entity was really, as I understand it, to reduce the likelihood of liability for individual participants. Um, yet, of course, you still have to find out how you will obtain approval from a DAO to get legal defense funds. So it's a very interesting question. We'll see how it proceeds. Um, what I can say is just based upon a, a decrypt article that's online, it does appear that uh, if this is accurate, um, so far the votes appear to be in favor of a legal defense fund. Wow. That has been a lot to pack into a short period of time, but there's so much more we could cover. I can't wait to see, Jonathan, what we have on the next episode. Yeah, even, even since we've been talking, Josh, you know, just reviewing, the, flipping through the morning's headlines, some people are arguing that, for example, uh, you know, there, there's a good likelihood that the SEC will want to get involved in any action against finance and that potentially 
the CFTC suing Binance is a bigger deal than SEC enforcement against Coinbase. And by bigger deal, you know, more meaning, more meaningful for what future exchanges have to do, how people deal with U.S. customers and non-U.S. customers, and what's separating that line. What makes you subject to U.S. jurisdiction? So lots of questions to be answered here. Yeah, and it raises it raises that old familiar point of, you know, it's not the question of whether something is a commodity or a security, it could be both. So could could Binance be, you know, in the CFTC's view, an illegally um, an illegal derivatives exchange, but in the SEC's view, an illegal securities exchange? Seems entirely possible at this point. Anything's possible. <laughs> All right. Well, see you next time, everyone. Thanks, everyone. And there you have it. Our hot takes for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan Ching. And I'm Josh Clayman. Join us next time on Crypto Facto with Josh Johnson.